I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today, we are talking with Dr. Janice Murphy Rising. Janice is a licensed mental health counselor in Washington State with 18 years of clinical experience and over a decade teaching graduate level counselors. Janice works with adolescent transitions, substance abuse, eating disorders, grief, spirituality, and life transitions. Their approach is yoga informed, Enneagram informed, and anti diet. Janice Counseling helps learn patterns that support spontaneity, presence, and how to be the person you they were born to be. Janice, welcome to the show. Hi, it's Sarah Jane. Thanks for having me. As you know, we start every episode with Rosebud and Thorn. What is yours today? My rose, it's um, early in the morning on the West Coast for me. So that's always my coffee with almond milk. Mm. My my bud is I'm <laughs> true to form. I'm looking forward to a coffee run with my spouse later this afternoon. It's our three times a week treat. Coffee is life in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and <laughs> my thorn, um, which is not as enjoyable, but might be have to do with the verse two is just, I thought about this a lot because I saw that and I'm like, I don't want to not say something, but mm-hmm. it's, it's existential dread, which I think a lot of people can relate to right now. I think that's really mm-hmm. relatable. I'm a head type. And so that's, um, you know, I know you're a head type too, and that shows up just yeah. differently for you. And so that's something I've been navigating. And instead of just letting it be up in the ethers for me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to research this. <laughs> I'm going to get to the bottom yeah. of it. So it, like, like when you say research it, like just understand, like, where does this come from or, yeah, what I've always is this known mean? what it is. You know, the we have there's a whole existential theory that's based in this idea that you know we're aware that we're connected to the cosmos and that we're kind of this tiny speck, and that sometimes you know that makes us feel even more vulnerable and have we that makes us question our meaning of like what is life about, especially when there's awful things happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are just more sensitive to that or more just aware. And then you know, with how much we consume media. And, you know, also I think how, you know, we get more, you know, aware of the injustices in the world. I think, I think it comes up a lot more for people than we realize. I think it's mm-hmm. not something that graduate schools cover well. I certainly have never taught it to my students, but I think it's really something, you know, with just everything. I mean, what is that movie that just came out with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yes, I watched it. I can't, yes, I don't, don't look yes. up. Yeah, I don't mean, look up. yeah, right. And he sort of make the movie kind of pokes a little fun at it. But the reality is, is that it's not, it's not fun when you're in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm so interested in that too, with just the rapid fire social media life that we live and how evolutionarily it does not make sense for us to be able to have this much input and awareness. Like I think back to like like the 30s, you know, and how your world was so much smaller than it is now for us and how holding all of the awareness of the world is admirable, but also how do we even? Yeah, it's, it's hard because I think it adds the question of, well, how do I show up? Because if I don't address mm-hmm. this thing on social media, am I being a jerk? You know, Mm -hmm. am I not being aware enough? Am I not being conscious enough? You know, and that, you know, is 
is, I think, something that weighs on us a lot more than we realize. Mm-hmm. I could talk to you about, I could do a whole episode yeah. on that. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not careful, we will. Um, so I want to get into first your story with how did you find the Enneagram? How did you know your type? But also, you know, you can intermingle that into your, your journey of becoming a mental health counselor. How did that happen for you? Yeah. Let's see. Well, I became a mental health counselor because I was always a really good listener. And I thought, well, if I'm such a good listener, I, and I always have been really interested in like self-help books and like understanding myself. And so I think probably that started with like just being in high school and being someone that was like, oh, how can I make a career out of this? And I have a unique perspective because I am an advocate for people in my life with disabilities. And so I think those unique mm-hmm. ideas of things that are sort of not the norm for me made me say, well, I really want to understand why this person is the way they are, why I'm the way I am. But the Enneagram I became aware of um, also in high school, I was just um, at a bookstore. I love just rummaging bookstores and just, you know, trying to read as much as I could before someone told me to, you know, buy something or leave. And I found Helen Palmer's book on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And so I read through it and I decided, you know, because I had so much time with it, that I was a nine because I liked mm-hmm. being a nine in my mind. And I did for many years. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'm a nine and I put it away and I didn't think about the Enneagram until I was a teaching assistant in, when, in my doctorate program in a career counseling class. And there was a presenter that did an Enneagram um, talk. And this person got up and shared all the nine types and then went around and everybody was supposed to, after this really short, you know, half hour talk, able to identify their numbers. And people were like, you know, saying, I'm this number, I'm that number. And I was very skeptical mm-hmm. and it got to me and, um, the person outed my number and didn't let me like think it through. Wow. And, it actually really turned me off from the Enneagram until I was later on teaching a class about adolescence and identity building. And I thought, oh, the Enneagram would be a great thing to add in here. So I had a guest speaker and that happened to be a really good friend of mine who I really trust, who had really good information. And it really sort of healed that first introduction Mm -hmm. to the Enneagram for me. And I tell those stories because those are all things that I hope that people avoid if they are being introduced to the Enneagram the first time. And that mm-hmm. I think you take away people's power when you don't let them sense through and understand the Enneagram and then figure out what their lens is in terms of it. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to snap. I <laughs> Because I do. I think that there's something really... Um, aggressive about typing someone mm-hmm. against their will yes. basically yes yeah i try to make it clear when people sign up as my clients that you know if they want to tell me that if they know that about themselves that they're curious about it we can talk about it as part of their care mm-hmm. um and i might get an impression cuz i'm always kind of inquisitive and seeking, but I never want it to be something where it makes the person feel on the spot or judged. Cause that moment when I have seen that sense with other students of mine, other friends of mine, even other colleagues, it, it can be, um, it can be really 
painful to learn what your Enneagram type is. And it can also be a huge relief. And I think if we let people figure it out themselves and then celebrate it, you know, whether it's true or not, I mean, what do I care if you're the wrong type? Right. And how Mm -hmm. do I know if you're the wrong type? Like I'm not living in your experience. So, you know, you may well be a type three, even though I see you as a type eight. I don't need to share that information that I see you as a type eight. I can just go with what you're saying and follow what I know about type threes and, and see if that's supportive of you. Yeah. It reminds me, it makes me think the part of me that wants people to see themselves typed the way I think that they should be typed or the what, you know, if I see someone, I'm like, you feel like a two to me, but you're telling me that you're, you know, a six or whatever. Um, then the part of me that's like obsessed with them typing quote unquote correctly is my attempt to control the outcome mm-hmm. and is really more about my work than it is about them at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if everybody's integration is like mine, but once I did really start researching the Enneagram and not in a way that was since my introduction was so awful. Um, but you know, just letting myself understand, you know, initially I sort of had this interaction with types where I'm like, Oh, I really like seven. That's my neighbor. You know, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. my wing. That feels really good to me. Oh, I don't understand threes. I've had a lot of three bosses. Like they seem, they seem like really focused on success and not relationship. And, and I think that's normal to sort of have an, I like this type. I don't like this type, or I don't understand this type, but where I sit with it now is that the more you understand the Enneagram, the more that you understand that you're sort of like planted where your number is like, that's like where you look out into the world, but that doesn't mean you can't gain perspective from every type. You know, I Mm -hmm. I really see it as a wonderful way to figure out, you know, your own family conflicts and struggles, your own and internal struggles, the struggles that you have with others, because there's always that moment whenever I've known somebody's type and I've had a conflict with them and we resolved it in hindsight, I could always go, oh, that's why. Okay. That was, Mm -hmm. that was just because that's how you are in the world. And this is how I am in the world. And the ways we are just bumped up against each other in this moment that, you know, once we talked through it, we were able to go, okay. Yeah. And you gain something from that. Mm-hmm. When someone is kind of entering into a therapeutic relationship and they want to bring Enneagram into the conversation, is there like a be- best practice, like a way that you recommend engaging in that conversation and, or like, what if my therapist is my therapist? I have a good relationship, but they don't know the Enneagram. How could I bring the Enneagram into that? Well, first of all, I think it's a wonderful thing for a therapist to just know the Enneagram. So if, Mm -hmm. if you are a therapist and you have a client that's curious about the Enneagram, I think allowing yourself just to learn a little bit more about it is really useful. I think the thing that's really helpful as a therapist is to know your type because we work a lot with projections. We work a lot with, you know, if you're a relational therapist, like I am, I think a lot more therapists today than ever are very interested in the relationship between the therapist and the client. I'm going to know that my biases, my, my way of showing up, my strengths are all going to be influenced by my number, not just my number, but my instinct. 
Um, and also how I interact with people. It really depends which wing I use. Um, but with somebody that's new, I think usually people want to test and I, you know, if if people want to do that, I'm, I'm like, okay. Um, but the problem with tests (laughs) is that I'm sure you already know this, um, you know, it usually has three. And so people will come back and they'll be like, I'm a three, seven and two. And I'm like, well, let me, you know, just share a little information about, you know, why that happened. Um, and so I, what I really like to share with people, and this is how I teach when I introduce people to the Enneagram more formally is let's, let's look at how you show up in your mind, in your heart and in your body in those three centers. And then I want you to pay attention to like, so a homework that I would give for a client is just like, just pay attention to which one do you tend to show up more comfortably, more easily? And also which one do you tend to be in when you're not feeling great or you're feeling like Mm -hmm. you need to, you know, go back to your automatic pilot or your survival. Right. And people that know the Enneagram know that that's like a quick, you know, shorthand for narrowing it down to, well, if I get lost in my mind a lot, I'm probably a five, six or seven. And so that gives me more just, just to talk about with them. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'll usually just recommend, um, you know, the essential Enneagram, because I think that has a good qualitative quiz in it where people, but again, that gives you a narrow to three. And so I think that's, I think that's oftentimes where people go, oh, I don't want to do this because it's not going to just say you're an INFJ or you're a Scorpio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going, mm-hmm. it's, you have to do a little bit of thinking through and feeling through and, and processing, I think, to really get to what, what your number is. Yeah. And I think for so many, you know, I, they don't know that it's okay to give yourself that much time and attention Mm -hmm. to be that curious about yourself and how you work. Yeah. There's a lot of people that feel guilty for even going to therapy, you know, that they're, (sighs) they're not used to talking that much about themselves because they've been told that that's selfish or that they're really supposed to show up for other people. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that can be a whole conversation and also a, a clue into, you know, maybe what their instinct or type is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love what you said about therapists knowing theirs because of projection. Because I think about my husband and I probably inappropriately um, will like to like analyze motivations of people in our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like someone will do something and we'll be like, well, they're probably doing it for this reason. And a hundred percent of the time, it is projection. It is like a hundred percent of the time I'm saying they feel trapped. They need to be free. They're probably feeling like trapped in negative emotion. And a hundred percent of the time he's like, they feel shame. They feel like they're worthless. They feel like they're not good enough. And it's like coming from, (laughs) I'm like, you hear it so clearly Mm -hmm. like our seven and our four. Um, And it does, it kind of like just being aware of that neutralizes the behavior in us a little bit because it's like, oh, we don't know. (laughs) Like clearly we don't know. And like, we have to just trust them to tell us. Right. Mm. Yeah. My husband and I love to watch TV shows and guess like the characters numbers. Yeah. It was just so fun. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So when... How can we in therapy, like, how can this go awry? Like, how can using the Enneagram in our therapeutic process, like, when are we doing ourselves a disservice by kind of, you know, is there ever a time in which it's not helpful? It's probably a better question. 
Well, I like the Enneagram because I think I, I like systems that are meant to work well with other systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I also teach yoga. I have a lot of experience with motivational interviewing. And both of those systems are systems that have worked with other belief systems, other approaches. And I see that as the Enneagram too. I think that it's good to know things and have a tool in your tool bag, but we don't want to over rely on it. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have to necessarily, you know, decide that people show up, including ourselves into these neat little boxes, just because I happen to be a type six or someone else happens to be a different type. Right. I mean, the, Mm -hmm. the gift of the Enneagram, when you really let yourself get into it, are these levels of health because levels of health mean that, you know, people show up in multiple ways, you know, someone that's really got a lot of health as a type three is going to look really different from somebody that doesn't have a lot of level of health. And that can get tricky too, because I think all of us want to be healthy and the word healthy is a bit of a judgment as well. So I think, I think the way to not get trapped is like, don't let yourself get rigidly stuck into it. Don't let yourself get so either as a therapist or a client, like so convinced that, somebody is a particular number and this is how they are in the world. Because the reality is, Mm -hmm. is that I'm the only one living in my experience and I can tell you, I can like give you, you know, a felt sense of like, well, maybe this is how a six shows up, but I'm also counterphobic. So I I don't always show up as a six. Sometimes people think I'm an eight. Some people think I'm a seven. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm really emotionally verbose. So sometimes people think I'm a four. And so, you know, I'm the only one that is really tracking at the end of the day, like what my number is Mm -hmm. and what I think it does well, which is I hope what your question is next is that I think it can really enhance and get people to get to their motivation much more quickly. I I see it as kind of a shorthand at times, Um, And so I think that can be a good call as a therapist and also as a client, if you know your number really well, like when is this a shorthand that's going to help me get to like the core of what we're talking about? And when is this something that makes me gloss over something that maybe is painful or maybe, you know, I'm not ready Mm. to, to deal with. And again, I think also that's okay. I mean, that's just a sign that, you know, we are really the only ones that have control over whether or not we change. You know, a good therapist is going to guide you and, you know, maybe share their impressions. And if you've got a good long-term relationship, they're going to maybe say things that challenge you as a way to to support you. Um, But I only know my clients really from, you know, the time that we spend together. I'm not with them 24-7. So I I don't actually know. Today's episode is brought to you by Seed. It turns out everything you think you know about probiotics may be wrong. I knew probiotic tortilla chips sounded way too good to be true. But good news, Seed's daily symbiotic is the real deal. Not all probiotics are created equal. So what is the daily symbiotic? It's a broad spectrum two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic, a proprietary formulation of 24 distinct probiotic strains and scientifically studied dosages. Proprietary engineered two-in-one capsule that protects probiotics through digestion to ensure delivery to the colon. So if you've taken a probiotic before and didn't feel a difference, it's likely because the good bacteria wasn't surviving your GI tract. Seed is designed differently and that is why it works. 
honestly, the reason I was excited to try Seed is because their packaging is so beautiful and because for so many years I was taking vitamins and I was feeling no difference. I was feeling like my probiotics were not doing their job and I loved trusting that they were going to get all the way to my intestines and they were going to actually get the bacteria where it's supposed to go. And the reason that I continue to take it is because it's beautiful, it's beautifully packaged, which really inspires me. If you're motivated by things that are aesthetically pleasing, it's going to work for you too. So what does the daily symbiotic do for you? It supports benefits in and beyond the gut. So yes, seed will support ease of bloating, healthy regularity, and ease of evacuation if you know what I mean. But it will also support your gut barrier, skin health, heart health, and micronutrient synthesis. Gut immune function is not boosting the immune system. It's about the supporting the crosstalk between your intestinal cells and your immune cells. So many see improvements in digestion within 24 to 48 hours, which can include bowel movement regularity and ease in bloating. So you can start a new healthy habit today. Just visit seed.com egram and use the code egram to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com egram and use the code egram. Thank you so much, Seed, for supporting the podcast. I'm interested in the, the idea that like our Enneagram type, it stays the same but we are always changing and looking different in our fluid and kind of what you were saying about like, it's un, it, like relying on it totally. It kind of can limit you. Um, or I think about like how I, w- if I were leaning into like seven completely and being like, I have, this is my work. I, my therapy would look a lot differently right now. Like a lot of the work my therapist and I are doing is like, what if you had fun, <laughs> mm-hmm. which you would have never thought you would have a conversation like that with a seven. Right. But I've been in one mode for, you know, what, two years since 2020. So like that, like energy exchange, like, yes, I'm a seven and I'm, I'm motivated by seven behaviors and continuously shifting and changing as individuals, as people, we, we do change. Um, yeah, that that nature nurture argument has always been alive and well, and for me, it's settled in that it's both. You know, mm-hmm. we we can't we can't just rely on one or the other. And my teacher, um, if I can say my my teacher, his name is Dale Rhodes. He's in Portland, Oregon, and one of the things that I appreciate about him, and I know not everybody has this theory, but it really makes sense to me, is that when you're born, you really are born into being either a head type, a heart type, or a body type. And so from I, you know, I tried that on for myself because I, you know, when people describe me as a child, like they're like, oh, you're bebopping around. You just love to like run and do things. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a seven. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, I would love to be a seven, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with that wing space. Um, I'm definitely, mm-hmm. I'm definitely a six as an adult. Um, and so I think about that and I'm like, yeah, isn't that interesting to think about that free will or choice of like, had my environment been different, maybe I would have been more like a five or maybe I would have been more like a seven. And again, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a theoretical approach that works for me just because of how I understand attachment and, you know, you know, development. Um, and it doesn't, it, the lens doesn't really, you know, track for everybody, but, but I, I really see that as a, just a helpful way 
to see, you know, if somebody says, well, I'm this number, but if you talked about how I was as a child, I was like this. And it's like, well, it could be that, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, we don't really know when the, when the Enneagram development, <laughs> you know, cause I'm guessing yeah. that it goes, it goes along. We, we don't really get into our identity, identity development. We thought until we were in our teens, but I, you know, I've talked to some very verbose younger people than that, that seem to already have a good awareness of their identity and who they are. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, I, I think it's fun. And you tell me what you think therapeutically because I'm not a therapist, you know, I'm not a counselor. So I think it's an interesting concept to explore what part of me is a five, what part of me is a one. And like, you know, I, I do think at the end of the day, when we're looking at the Enneagram as a system, like, yes, my, I have a worldview that I look through, that I form my personality around that protects me from my vulnerabilities. And that is seven. And there's a little bit of me that's a five that like just wants to be kind of in my own little space and like protecting my resources and guarding my energy and learning new things and privacy. Um, that part of me exists and and I can play with her and get to know her and understand her without losing sight of the system as a whole. I kind of think about it as like a journey, right? You know, you you have to start from wherever you start from when you begin a trip somewhere, right? And so, you know, as a type six, I always start my journey of relating from my sixth space. Um, but I can go to... Mazatlan, I can go to New York, I can go to France, you know, and like all of those, mm -hmm. you know, and I even love that the archetypally, like the Enneagram, those are, num there's numbers attached to those. It's mm -hmm. not just, you know, our, our human internal, internal selves. So yeah, I, I enjoy that. I also find myself when I'm under stress, I think sixes do this a lot where I'm like, I'm so confused. I must be, a, I must be a nine now. <laughs> <laughs> or I must be a three or I must be a, and I have to have my husband talk me down and be like, you're definitely a six. I know you, <laughs> I know you well, you know, I can, I can see how, although only time mm -hmm. we were just in our Enneagram group, we were just looking at the eights. And by the time we got done, he was like, yeah, I could definitely see how you could have been an eight. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, my that's the only type my husband would consider me being other than a seven is an eight. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I could see you being an eight. Like uh -huh. that's the only one. And I'm like, yeah, me, yeah. Yeah. That's I, your wing too though. The, the wing is strong. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm curious, let's say I'm thinking about the person at home who has got this like inclination of like, I'd like to create, I'd like to start going to therapy. I'd like to start this process. I would love Enneagram to be part of that because that's something that I know and I understand and I can bring to, I can have a starting point here. Where would I start looking for a therapist if that's where I was coming from? It really depends on how, like I'm pretty out as far as my Enneagram mm -hmm. Um, geekiness. Um, you know, I teach the Enneagram. I, I, you know, I advertise myself as an Enneagram, you know, I, Enneagram informed counselor is how I, I advertise myself. So, so I think I would look for that. Um, I think there's a lot more of us out there because I think a lot of, a lot of therapists find things that work for them. And then, you know, 
and this is what I did. I mean, I started really loving and embracing the Enneagram and finding the circle that felt like my community. And then I realized, you know, this is really too good not to share and not to incorporate um, if people want that. So it can also be a question that if people aren't outwardly saying, I use the Enneagram, you can also ask that if you, you know, reach out with a phone call or an introduction email, is this something that can be a part of my, my, my therapy? Because I think, mm-hmm. you know, a therapist writes back and says, I don't know a lot about it, but I'm open. That's still a good sign. You know, that might pique their curiosity to go, you know, take a class on it or read a book on it. And they might, you know, find their number as well in that. The only thing that I would caution against is, is somebody just said, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look at that. And I think there are people that do that. I mean, this was originally a spiritual system and psychology took it on, you know, when it was first introduced in the United States. And there are a lot of people that, you know, for whatever reason, don't see it as a, as a system that supports healing. And, you know, that's, that's good to know up front if somebody is going to say, no, it's just not really something that we're going to talk about, or that seems, you know, I would never want somebody to tell me that I obsess too much about the Enneagram or that that's not because <laughs> that's a system yeah. that works for me, right? I mean, it's the same as saying, you know, if somebody says I'm a Christian, can that be supported in therapy? Like I'm going to say, mm-hmm. even if I'm not a Christian, yes, of course, we're going to use your language and your values. And so if you value the Enneagram, I think it's important that your your therapist supports that because your mm-hmm. your values being reflected are going to be and your words are going to be what's going to help you grow the most. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're you're establishing up front, trust yourself and what you need right away and kind of like communicate that in advance um, versus entering into the dynamic and hoping that it goes the Absolutely. way you hope it will go. Yeah. Yeah. I want people to be discerning. You know, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a little bit of a concern I have that people want you know, we, you know, because we all project, right. And we want, we want our therapist to be a good therapist and, you know, there are examples of bad therapists out there. And so, I mean, the discernment is that regardless of the Enneagram after your first session, the best thing you can do for yourself is just, you know, have a cup of tea and like, you know, sit with like, how did that feel? How did that Mm. feel to sit with that person? Did I feel acknowledged? Did I feel valued? And I try to make it clear when I first sit with somebody, I'm going to ask you a ton of questions. And so this isn't going to feel like therapy today. It's going to be therapeutic. You know, we're going to establish what you're here for and how I can be a support to you. Um, and and then, you know, ask your friends, you know, hey, you know, this is, did this feel right? And if something feels off, it's okay to not reschedule. It's okay to maybe you notice that offness and see in the next session if that still feels that way. Because what the research mm-hmm. shows is that it's the relationship between the therapist and the client that really is the most, the biggest indicator for good outcomes for therapy. I mean, all our theories are wonderful. I love my theories. I love, I love the ways that I can show up and help people and select from these different tools. But the tool I use the most is my ability to really be with somebody and really, you know, do everything that I can to, to see them and support them. Mm. Yeah, I love that because it's like you're prioritizing how like it's almost like dating. Like, how does this make me feel mm-hmm. when I'm around this person? Do I feel like a connection here? Mm-hmm. Do I feel like I can be myself? Um, 
Yeah, depending and, on the kind of work that you want to do, you know, because some people go and they just want to go to therapy for a couple of sessions because, you know, something happened and they want to like just, you know, get a, get some coping strategies and then they want to move on. But, you know, people that really want to do really deep work, you know, you're investing in a relationship with somebody that is as significant as like your best friend or, you know, a close family relationship or a significant other. And, mm-hmm. you know, my own therapist, you know, I, I had a therapist for seven years. And I also think that's important for you to know is did your therapist go to therapy or would they go to therapy? Because we yeah. have to be able to ask for help as well. But that person I credit with helping me become an adult. You know, I mm-hmm. had a bond with her that I still see as being sacred and mm-hmm. meaningful. And had I not had that time with her, um, I don't think I would be as good of a therapist and, and human in my life as, as I am today because I had that consistency. I had that bond. I had that person that helped me shift mm. the way that I saw support because support looked different to me before I got the support that I got from her. Oh my gosh, that sentence, support looked differently to me until I got the support that I got from her mm-hmm. is so good because I think we do, we come to the table with what we think support is, is and what we're allowed to have and, or even just like what support is available to us. And until we're given more, given more than we think we're allowed to have, we don't often even know it's available. Right. Mm. Yeah. Janice, is there anything lingering for you that you want to make sure gets said or talked about before we move into rapid fire questions? Well, if you've recently typed yourself, if you've had that moment, and a lot of times people feel uncomfortable if they have like, I don't know my type, like if can feel this like uncomfortableness, like, first of all, just know it's okay if you don't know your type. I, I would say a good indicator that you've found your number is you go, oh, that's me. And it's both a relief and a sadness. Mm-hmm. And just make sure you have people around you that can really see you, that can say, yeah, of course you're like that. And I just accept you completely. Oh, that's so, so true and so good. Um. I'm going to change tone significantly as we move into rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) The first book that comes to mind. I'm looking at books right now. So can I just name one? (laughs) Yes. Perfect. (laughs) Oh gosh. Which one? Um, I'm looking at, um, well, the one I keep focusing on as we've been talking is Yoga and the Quest for the True Self by Stephen Cope. Ooh, good. A favorite song? Red Right Ankle by the Decemberists. Fun one. Okay. Something, oh, sorry, something you wish people knew about you. Wish people knew about me. Hmm. I'm kind of an open book with people when I'm close to them. So, um, what do I wish people knew? Uh, probably that I prefer dark chocolate over milk chocolate. I don't know. (laughs) I love that. That's actually good information for people. Right? (laughs) Yeah. People do need to know. Yeah. Um, dream day. What are you doing? I am waking up 
late to the sunshine and I'm eating brunch with my husband. And then we're going to go lounge on a beach for a few hours. And then we're going to come back and swim and nap and have dinner and watch the sunset. Oh, I love it. Your final meal, what are you eating? Oh, chocolate. Like, why Why <laughs> would I have a meal? Just like, oh, this is it? Okay, can, can just give me all the dark chocolate. <laughs> love it. Um, food for thought, something that people can leave just kind of thinking about today. Yeah, I, I hope regardless of if you are an Enneagram um, aficionado or a therapy aficionado that you find the support and healing that works for you. Where can we keep in touch? I know you have an intro to the Enneagram. Is it a workshop, a class? And then also you have a podcast. I do. Yeah. So I just thir- recorded my third episode. My podcast is called, Oh My God, I'm a Therapist. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love the name too. Um, and then I teach an online five-week introduction to the Enneagram class, and I call it um, Enneagram and the True Self. So mm-hmm. something that helps you learn your type. And there's no, um, you don't need to know anything about the Enneagram. I teach my classes a lot in the same way of how I show up you know, as a therapist, as I'm very relational, I have people be relational. I, I, um, you know, have people connect with other types. And I think the best way to learn is to learn by seeing other people be in process with what they're learning and their own impressions. And so I try to bring all those things into the classes that I teach and, and it's a lot of fun. And friends, we will link all of that for you below so you can easily find it, get in touch with Janice and see how you could maybe work together or listen to her podcast or their podcast. And um, thank you so much, Janice, for joining today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.